Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Shamer, where I'm trying to bring a little bit of shame back to a shameless culture. Today is the 6th of June. It is Tuesday. We were off most of last week, but I'm happy to be back, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest, the one and only Jimmy Aiken. Jimmy Aiken is a Catholic a apologist and a scholar. He has done quite a, a lot in the Catholic world and also is heavily interested in science fiction, uh, conspiracy theories, all of the things that uh, myself and my audience also enjoy. I thought he'd be a perfect guest for this show. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on to discuss conspiracy theories with me. Hey, it's my pleasure. And if people, just to let folks know, if they want to learn more about me, they can connect with my professional work as a Catholic apologist at catholic.com. They can uh, also go to my personal website, jimmyaken.com, and they can learn about the mysteries I investigate at mysterious.fm. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I first heard about Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, I was so excited because I'd followed some of your Catholic apologetic work. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I was actually talking to a friend and I said, someone needs to do a show where they go into these conspiracy theories and they also ask interesting questions about science fiction, but it's done in a way where it's grounded in like some, you know, reason and understanding of reality. The faith would also be great. My friend said, that's it's Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. You need to check that out. I was like, what are you talking? I was like, that's a podcast? Uh, where has it been hiding? Uh, and so this is a couple of years ago and I, I found it and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I would also say to my audience, uh, Jimmy Aiken has a pretty large non-Catholic audience as well who enjoy the conspiracy theory stuff. And I so this is not something you have to be Catholic to enjoy. I, I really recommend all of you check uh, some of his stuff out. In, in fact, I should mention that on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, that's the, na the name of the podcast, and it's available both in the standard podcast directories. It's also um, at my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken, where I have a video version. But we look not just at conspiracies, but at other forms of mysteries, too. Mm -hmm. So we look at, for example... UFOs, mysteries connected with them, psychic phenomena, mysteries connected with them, uh, cryptids, you know, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. We look at historical mysteries and true crime. So we have something for just about everybody. And unlike a lot of podcasts, we actually try to solve the mysteries. We don't mm -hmm. just generate it. Like if you watch a lot of History Channel documentaries and so-called documentaries, they'll, they'll be like, here are these wild claims. Just, <laughs> ju just imagine what if, you know, and they try to generate wonder, but they don't actually try to solve them. So what we do is we lay out the facts. We give the background on a mystery of what's known about it. And then we make a list of what could explain the known facts. And we go down the list and try to eliminate um, implausible explanations. And we don't always get down to a single final explanation, but we get down to a, at least to a range of it's probably something in this area. So I should ask before we dive into some of the conspiracy theories we plan to discuss, what mystery left you the most perplexed? What mystery did you investigate on your show where afterwards you were sitting there scratching your head going, I don't think I have any more clarity on this happened or on how this happened? Well, there have been a few. One of the earliest was Skinwalker Ranch, which is a mm. site in Utah. And I, there's now, these days, there's a, um, there's a, a, 
History Channel documentary-like show about it. Um, but I was early on the Skinwalker Ranch train, and so I knew about it before a lot of people. My co-host had not even heard of it when we did the Skinwalker Ranch episode. But it's a site in Utah where a lot of different kinds of paranormal activity have been reported. And because there's so many different things that have been reported there, it doesn't fall into any of the standard categories. And so it's, it, it's more mystifying. And there are attempts to explain it naturally. And, and maybe those are right. Maybe there's nothing strange there going on. But there are a lot of reports of strange things going on there. And it defies standard categories. So do you have any kind of conclusion about what you think it might be, or is it just so mysterious that you don't really think you have uh, an answer to that question? Well, um, I, I, I'm open to different possibilities. I'm open to the possibility that there's really nothing paranormal there because I haven't seen the evidence in detail. Mm. Like there was a team in the 1990s when it had a different owner that came in and did scientific studies and they reportedly got things on video. And some of the things that they got on video and other via other readings like electromagnetic readings and so forth were very strange and would be hard to explain through anything other than hoaxing or fraud, which they indicate didn't happen. And I've read descriptions of what's on the video, but I haven't seen the video myself. Uh. But if um, the reports are accurate of what's been happening there. It sounds like it's something, it, it, this is just what it sounds like. It sounds like something interdimensional is happening. There's a connection between Skinwalker Ranch and some other location, even either elsewhere in our universe or in another one. So what, like, what would that mean? Um, it, I, I think, I think for a lot of Catholics, I fall in this category. I don't think you do, uh, but that's fine. I, I tend to boil these things down to being something demonic. I know you've said on your show that you're you're more open to a belief in the existence of extraterrestrials or extra dimensional beings. So I, I'm I'm curious if you think that these things are related or if you just put them in completely separate categories. Well, demons uh, can impersonate things. So, you know, uh, if a demon wants to, I mean, demons can impersonate humans just like angels can. You yeah. Know, you read about that in the Bible. And if they can, if they can, even though they don't have physical bodies, if they can take on a temporary physical form, what medieval theologians like St. Thomas Aquinas referred to as aerial bodies, um, then there's no reason they have to take the human shape. They could take some other shape. They could impersonate aliens if they want. They could hoax us and pretend to be aliens. But um, we shouldn't leap to that conclusion because if we leap to the conclusion that something we don't understand must be demonic, well, we wouldn't have modern technology because we would have looked at electricity and medicine and said, these must be demons. This must be demonic. And we would have never developed technology and medicine. So we need to apply critical thinking instead of simply assuming that something is demonic, even though it could be, yeah. we need to say what evidence is there that it's demonic. Mm -hmm. And and I'm open to particular appearances of aliens being demonic, but but I need I need to see evidence for it. And in a lot of cases, I don't see evidence for it. You know, if you see a UFO flitting across the sky, it's not doing, it's not preaching a false gospel. 
you know, mm -hmm. it's just something flying across the sky. Even if aliens land and abduct a person and run them through medical tests, well, that's that could be scary to go through, but just because something's scary doesn't mean it's a demon. Mm. It's also consistent with the hypothesis that they're doing medical tests because that's what it appears like they're doing. Mm -hmm. Aliens could, could want to come down and do medical tests on people, just like we could, you know, if we went to another planet, we could run medical tests on the inhabitants there. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting perspective. I know as far as political commentators go, uh, Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles, who are both also Catholic, talk about this a lot. And mm -hmm. Walsh is certainly on Team Aliens. Knowles and I are firmly uh, in, in camp. These are demons. I, don't, I didn't want to say we're in Camp Demons because mm -hmm. <laughs> I would hope not to go to such a place. But I'm curious what you think. Or I'm sure you've seen this. This, um, this supposed leak from uh, a retired intelligence officer who mm -hmm. said that the U.S. retrieved a craft of non-human origin. What do you make of this? Well, I'm actually blogging about that right oh, now. Great. It, it should appear both at my website, jimmyakin.com, and at the Catholic Answers Indulgences blog within a few days. Um, I'm kind of reviewing the situation, then I'm going to offer an assessment of it. There have been a lot of people who have claimed to be UFO whistleblowers um, and, and disclosed hidden things that the government is not telling us about. Like Bob and, Lazar types. Bob Lazar. And some of them are, are some of them are delusional. Mm -hmm. Some of them are hoaxers. Um, Bob Lazar is someone I'm very skeptical of. There's another one named Stephen Greer, who is an outright hoaxer. And mm -hmm. I've got the video to prove it. I wow. did, epi did episodes on both of them on Mysterious World. Um, but, uh, but this guy really was uh, a high up uh, intelligence official. He's a civilian, but in terms of his, his, his rank, he's the equivalent of a colonel. And he, he did work in the right parts of the government and, or def with the right parts of the defense department, um, that, that have been investigating aliens. So he was really in these programs. He's not some outsider trying to horn his way in. And he's got multiple other people saying this from, from the same circles, from these programs that the government has studying UFOs, saying this, guy's, this guy is absolutely impeccable. He's credible. Wow. Um, now, what he re has reported is that we have materials from like UFO crashes, and that's nothing new. That's been public for some time. In fact, I even did an episode... Um, called Art's Parts, after Art, the talk show host Art Bell, who claimed to receive some of these materials, where I looked at the analyses that have been done of the alleged UFO crash materials. Some of them are purely nat natural, purely normal, but some of them display unusual characteristics. They display characteristics of what are known as metamaterials, which are... Um, a kind of material that is very carefully structured on the atomic level to display properties either optical, electrical, or acoustical that ordinary materials don't display. And they they display properties that even though this this like hunk of what's claimed to be the surface of a UFO is decades old. We've only just now figured out these metamaterial properties that it displays. So it's had these properties before we did. Mm. 
And so that's significant. Yeah. What this what this guy's most fascinating claim to me is, is that the government somehow got an intact UFO that had been abandoned. And I would love to know more about that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and maybe at some point in the future, we will know more about that. But it's also possible, I can think of alternative explanations here. One explanation is, this guy may be totally sincere, but he's describing things going on in other departments. He's, what he, his claim is, that this was what he blew the whistle on, is he says, even though Congress centralized UFO investigations in this one task force, there are legacy programs doing the same thing in other agencies, including a crash retrieval legacy program, and they have been evading congressional oversight and withholding information from Congress. So that's what his whistleblowing was on. So he's talking about other agencies that, and it may be one of these other agencies like the crash retrieval program he mentions, that has the, or is alleged to have the intact UFO. Well, okay, so if that's the case, maybe he didn't see it. Maybe mm. he's just been told about it, and maybe he's been misinformed. So he could be totally sincere, but misinformed about some of these claims. Also, this could be a psyop. Yeah. Because, um, it's it is known that the United States um, defense industry um, and Defense Department during the Cold War used UFO related material and claims to fake out and uh, the Russians and to control information about weapon systems that we had or didn't have. And so, for example, the um, in the 1960s, the CIA and the Air Force developed a pair of planes. They're kind of two versions of the same thing. The, um, the Air Force version came to be known as the SR-71 Blackbird, which a lot of people will have heard of. Now, originally, it was the RS-71 Blackbird. R stands for reconnaissance. S stands for strike. So it's a reconnaissance and strike plane. And you always want to do your reconnaissance before you strike, yeah. which was why it was the RS-71 Blackbird. Mm -hmm. But when Lyndon Johnson was announcing it to the public, the president accidentally flipped the two letters. Oh, no. And so and that's how it changed its name. Oh, all my of his subordinates said, OK, Mr. President, <laughs> it's it's the SR-71 Blackbird now. Oh, man. Um, the CIA equivalent was known as the ox cart. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about the ox cart is to enable it to fly very, very, very fast, it needed to be and very high, it needed to be very lightweight. And so it was not painted. It had a titanium uh, surface, metallic surface to the plane. And if you think about how an SR-71 Blackbird looks, you know, it's got a kind of larger central section and then some wings sticking out of it. Well, okay, so now what happens when someone is watching an ox cart or a 71 Blackbird fly just after 
sunrise, just before sunrise or just after sunset, they're going to see the sun reflecting off it. Even though the sun has not yet risen or has not or has uh. already set, if you're up high, you're, the, the sun is still going to be up for you. So they're going to see the sun reflecting off this thing. It's going to look like it's glowing. And they're going to see a big kind of oval center section with little projections sticking out of it. It looks like a flying saucer. So, um, so a lot of UFO reports from the 1960s when this was in active development, especially in the Western United States where we have the big military testing ranges, um, got reported as UFOs. And so the, both the Soviets and the American military complex were monitoring UFO groups because they were afraid that they that people would stumble onto classified programs and information would get out that could lead the Soviets in the direction of what can the Americans really do. And there was an example of that in the 1980s. I did a pair of episodes about a man named Paul Benowitz and, mm -hmm. and a gentleman he knew named Richard Doty. Paul Benowitz lived in New Mexico near Kirtland Air Force Base, and he was an inventor, and he invented some stuff that let him accidentally discover a, a, a classified U.S. technology program. But he didn't know that's what it was. He thought he had stumbled into alien infiltration of Kirtland Air Force Base. And so he contacted Air Force Intelligence, and they sent him um, Richard Doty. And Richard Doty was an Air Force Intelligence officer from the Air Force Office of Special Investigations who didn't want to undeceive Mr. Benowitz. And so he lied to him and said, yes, this must be aliens. Tell us all about it. And he spun oh this el gosh. elaborate scenario that yeah. rein reinforced uh, Benowitz's perceptions. And he led him down false paths. Poor guy. And he eventually developed mental health problems oh, as that's... a result because he was convinced he had stumbled onto an alien invasion. And that's, it, that's very sad. It, it's very sad. And Richard Doty is a lying liar who lies. And he mm -hmm. lied to him. He continues to be present in the UFO community. And I don't trust anything he says. Mm -hmm. Then in the late 1980s and in the 1990s, a whole set of papers were released that appeared to be government and military documents that had been produced by a group known as Majestic 12 and Majestic, or also known as MJ-12 and things like that. Um, <clears throat> Majestic 12 was allegedly a group of 12 top experts that had been set up by President uh, Eisenhower to investigate UFO phenomena and to deal with, among other things, the Roswell UFO crash. Mm -hmm. And these, um, in, these Majestic 12 documents implied that we've been reverse engineering, uh, you know, what we got, and we have all this advanced weaponry we haven't told the world about. And when you look at the at careful document validation studies of, of the Majestic 12 documents, it looks like they're all fakes, that someone composed this. And the, the a leading theory is that they were composed as a PSYOP to fake out the Russians, because this is right when Russia is, when the Soviet Union is falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so sending the Russians a message of, 
the Americans have advanced alien technology that can kick our butts mm -hmm. would be the kind of thing that could help deter a nuclear war in this very delicate situation. And so there's, um, so it looks like the Majestic 12 documents or MJ-12 documents were a PSYOP. And knowing that such things have happened in the past, one has to ask the question, ha, huh, nuclear, uh, Ukraine war, yeah. Putin is nuclear saber rattling. All of a sudden we have some intelligence guys saying, oh, guess what? We've had this, this intact UFO for a long time and we've been working on it. So there's a possibility it could be a PSYOP. Yeah, I, I have so many thoughts about this. I mean, firstly, I'll, I'll put it on my sleeve. I mentioned before, I don't believe mm -hmm. in aliens. Uh -huh. um, I, I've... I won't say that I've flirted with the theory, but one theory I found intriguing is the idea that talk of, you know, aliens and cryptids is something that is injected into conspiracy theory communities to discredit things that really are feasible, like the JFK assassination, which we'll get into, and and, and label people who believe the government is doing wrong things as you know, people who are just willing to believe in in anything, like the presence of these aliens who are abducting people or cryptids. Now yeah. By Part the way, of what I, 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 I should sure. say I'm not I'm not firmly in Team Alien. Yeah. In, in Camp Alien. No, and I, I think didn't think you were. I, I think it's quite possible that aliens exist. I think it's likely that mm -hmm. somewhere in the universe, there God created other intelligent life forms. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I I don't know if yeah. they're visiting Earth or not. There are some situations. There are some reports that are genuinely hard to explain. I look, um, I believe it. Yeah, but I, I just I don't know for a fact that that they're aliens. Well, and, and my point is not to put anyone down for any kind of belief in that arena. Mm -hmm. It's it's simply to say that what strikes me about this theory is that it it has to take for granted that leaders of other nations would be willing to believe in aliens, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm curious about this. If, if there is, you know, information that they would have access to that we don't, that might lead them to be more likely to believe in it. Or if, you know, absent evidence, they're just as likely to believe in it as your average person might be. I find that fascinating. Uh, what do you think the probability is that higher ups in the USSR did believe in? Uh, oh, I, I, I think it's I think it's extremely probable. Um, other countries also have unexplained aerial phenomena mm. happening in their airspace and. And so just like we interpreted it as aliens, um, so did the Soviet Union. In fact, you know all those History Channel documentaries about ancient aliens? Yes. And the idea they may have messed Carried with... the gods, yeah. Yeah, they may have messed with humans early on. Well, actually, that was the standard position of the Soviet Union back in, like, the 1960s. Wow. And they were promoting this idea um, in part because they thought it would help weaken religion in the West. And so it was part of a psyop for them, but they also have people seeing unexplained things, and so um, they they are open to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. We were much more skeptical of it than they were. Mm -hmm. You know, it got a real taboo here because of some of the efforts of our government to make it taboo. Well, oh, sorry, I would just say, if, mm -hmm. I mean, also if you're you know a, a Marxist materialist who doesn't believe in the supernatural, anything that seems supernatural would have to be explained by some kind of technology that humans didn't possess. I, I think it's much easier to lean on aliens as an explanation for things if you don't believe that the spiritual realm exists. 
it certainly does narrow the options. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a there's a great story about another psyop that that we pulled with them. Um, this was in the '60s, if I recall correctly. Um, we manufactured a fake report that we had a um, a psychic research program that was bearing great results. This the man who starts goats. Is this what it, that this, film is it based leads, on? It leads okay. up to that, but this is before that. We we created a false account, a legend that um, that we had this super successful psychic uh, program, and we were we were going to be able to weaponize it. We were going to be able to use it against them, mm -hmm. and so um, we leaked this to the Soviets. It got published in a magazine in France and they of course picked it up and said, "Oh no, the Americans have this have this mind control. My, have this yeah. well, no, our mind control program is something else. I'm talking about that yeah, if you want. Yeah, 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 fair enough, yeah. But but Telepathy. Americans Americans have this psychic spying weapon program and and we better not get left behind. So they started their own to look at all of this at the psychic aspect of things and then that led us when we realized oh the soviets now have a big psychic development program we don't want to be left behind we better start one too and that led to the development of the stargate program that was eventually declassified in the mid-1990s wow so we kind of psyoped ourselves into it we did <laughs> we literally psyoped ourselves into trying to learn telepathy and uh, psychic control that's really incredible um i want to move here on to th this i i think i could talk about this for hours and hours um no, you just have to have me back on i would love to i would love to and i think the audience would love to as well we have about 1800 concurrent viewers right now and i'm going to ask you all to smash that like button uh, please hit that so we can uh, get further promoted to the, the front page if we're not uh, already there so more people can, can see this conversation. Uh, but one thing you and I talked about discussing before we started rolling was probably one of the most widely believed conspiracy theories, at least in the United States, which is the JFK assassination. Yeah, so people will be familiar with the fact that uh, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated on November 22nd, uh, 1963 in Dallas. Um, after the assassination occurred, um, they caught a man named Lee Harvey Oswald, and he was from Louisiana, but he was living in Dallas. He has a really weird life story. Um, he grew up in, in the South. He spent part of his childhood in New York, came back to the South. Then he joins the Marine Corps and gets on the, speaking of classified programs, he gets on the, on a radar program that is supporting the U-2 spy plane. And so he has all this knowledge of U.S. radar abilities and techniques and the U-2 spy plane and things like that, which was a big um, issue at the time because President Eisenhower had, um, had been sending them occasionally over the Soviet Union to do aerial reconnaissance. Mm. And the Soviets shot one of them down. It was piloted by a guy named Gary Powers. And they had a cover story that said this was a civilian weather plane. What And that's what President Eisenhower went with. And then um, what no one was expecting was that Gary Powers would survive. And he did. 
And so it got revealed, Nikita, Premier Nikita Khrushchev is like, ah, uh -uh, this ain't no weather plane, guys. This is a CIA pilot. And so, um, so Oswald was on this classified program doing radar in support of the U-2 spy missions. Um, and then he defects to the Soviet Union. And he go and they're our mortal enemy. And he goes over to their side, and he makes his way to the Soviet Union. He defects. He ends up marrying a woman there named Marina. And then, in 1962, he he does all that in 1959. And then three years later, in 1962, he says, "I want to go back to the United States." So he he applies for repatriation and gets it. And when he gets back, they don't uh, they don't like stick him in a cell and grill him about what did you tell the Soviets about yeah. our radar or anything like that. It's very strange. They, they let him go on his way, and then he turns up at the at working at the uh, Texas School Book Depository in Dallas, and that's at least one of the locations that bullets came from in the direction of President Kennedy. Now, if you've ever seen reconstructions of, or if you've ever been to Dealey Plaza, mm -hmm. as I have, um, what was happening was there was a motorcade of different cars proceeding along a street next to the Texas School Book Depository. And the president's limousine um, had already passed the book depository when he was struck. In front, so so the book depository is behind the president. Mm -hmm. In front of the president is an area known as the Grassy Knoll. It's kind of a little hill. It was covered with grass, and there was a picket fence on it. And when the shots rang out that killed President Kennedy, many of the eyewitnesses, including police officers and other people in the crowd, perceived shots coming from the grassy knoll hmm. and they ran up the grassy knoll to try to confront and catch the killer also shots came from behind the were perceived as coming from behind the the limousine from the texas school book depository a couple hours after the assassination they catch uh oswald in a in a movie theater where he had gone. He he left the building He uh, after the assassination. Someone saw him briefly in the building after the assassination. He left it. He went home. He changed his shirt, and he went to the Texas movie theater um, and snuck in without paying, which was what alerted the movie theater manager to some kind of issue. So he called the police to come get the intruder. They turned up the lights in the theater, and they arrested him. So they take him to Dallas police headquarters, and they're interviewing him, and periodically they're moving him between different locations, like between a holding cell and an interview room and so forth. And because the president's just been assassinated and they've arrested somebody, all of these reporters are now hanging out in the Dallas Police Center. And they will shout questions to Lee Harvey Oswald as he's being shuttled back and forth. And when they ask, did you kill the president, he seems surprised and says, no one's charged me with that. And then later, he's a answering a similar question, and he says, I'm just a patsy, hmm. meaning, and this is not the attitude you would expect from someone who hates John F. Kennedy enough to kill him. Yeah. If you, if you look at other presidential assassins in U.S. history, like John Wilkes Booth, you know, as soon as he shoots President Lincoln, he leaps onto the stage at Ford's Theater and 
he says in Latin, six semper tyrannis, yeah. thus always to tyrants. Some also reported him saying the South has been avenged. He's proud of the fact, and that's true of other people who have tried to assassinate, succeeded or not, in assassinating U.S. presidents. So, Can I ask you something yeah. very briefly? Because I, yeah. I remember you making this point before when I listened to your, your podcast episode on the JFK assassination, and I think it's a very good point. And one thing I'm curious about is, are there other examples we're aware of of assassins claiming that they didn't do it rather than taking credit and then stating their political goals? If they're a hired killer, mm. there are. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you're a mob hitman, you don't care about the person you're killing. You're just doing a job. Mm -hmm. So if you get caught, you're going to say, oh, no, I didn't kill that guy. Why would I do that? I'm not even from this town. Mm -hmm. I'm just visiting. Yeah. Um, and so if it's a hired killer who is not personally invested, then, yeah, sure, they'll deny doing the killing. But I am not aware of other assassins who were motivated by passion who did not want to take credit for what they did. Usually they're trying to make some kind of statement or they're trying to stop something they perceive as horrible from happening and they want to take credit for it. They think they did a good thing. But while Oswald is in police custody, on two days after, so the president is assassinated on a Friday, two days later on a Sunday, they're going to transfer him to the county jail. So they bring him down to the basement of the of the uh, police center in an elevator where they have an unannounced vehicle that they're going to use to get him over to the county jail. And as they're transferring him to the vehicle, suddenly a local nightclub owner named Jack Ruby lunges out of the crowd and shoots Oswald dead. And it was the first, there were also reporters there, even though they were trying to keep this secret, they didn't do a very good job. There was a live, live television feed there. And so this was the first murder ever performed on live television. Wow. And so you've got, and, and oh, by the way, um, Jack Ruby is reported to have ties to both the FBI and the mafia. So um, you've got sketchy guy with ties to the Russians kills president. And then while in police custody, two days later, after having said, I'm just a patsy, which would suggest he was willing to tell everything he knew about the plot. Oh. He gets bumped off while in police custody by a second sketchy guy. So uh, there's this, you know, it doesn't prove that there is a conspiracy, but it is quite suggestive. It's what you would see, it. likely, yeah. if there was a conspiracy. Yeah, it would look different. Yeah. So what happens afterwards is new president, Lyndon Johnson, is convinced to set up a blue ribbon panel to look into all of this. Because yeah. now, that, now that the assassin is dead, or the apparent assassin is dead, um, there's no one to put on trial. I mean, they put Ruby on trial, but that's for killing Oswald, not for killing Kennedy. And so, um, so uh, what President Johnson does is he goes to the head of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren, and says, I want you to head this commission because the public needs answers about what happened. And um, and Earl Warren doesn't want to do it, but Johnson, who was known for being very successful at twisting people's arms, twisted Earl Warren's arms. And that's how we got the Warren Commission. Mm. And so the Warren Commission looks into all of this. It does an investigation. The next year it comes out and says, the evidence says that Lee Harvey Oswald shot the president, and we don't have good evidence that there was any kind of conspiracy. 
But there are loads of critics of the Warren Commission report, and they point to sloppy things. They argue that the FBI, uh, who was serving as kind of an evidence-gathering arm for the for the Warren Commission, um, was not not faithfully reporting everything that it found. It was hiding inconvenient things from the Warren Commission. Um, and so people started writing books um, in the 60s uh, proposing that the Warren Commission report was mistaken, that there had been a conspiracy. And there's all kinds of suggestions about who may have been part of that conspiracy. Could have been LBJ, you know, Cui Bono, who benefits. Well, he benefited. Yep. Could be the mafia because Robert Kennedy had the was the attorney general and the mafia had helped JFK get elected. And then his brother turns around and starts prosecuting them. Mm. So it's like, guys, mm -hmm. you're, you're biting the hand that feeds you. Now, if they had shot Robert Kennedy at this point, that would have just enraged the president who had the actual power to clamp down on the mafia even more. But if you take out the president who has the power, Bobby Kennedy gets neutralized because he and Lyndon Johnson don't get along at all. And indeed, Bobby Kennedy got neutralized and soon he went off to become a, a senator from New York. It could be the CIA. It could be the Cubans. It could be the Russians. And that's what a lot of early people have said the Warren Commission was really trying to avoid because Oswald had this background with the Russians. He was a double defector. Yeah. And and you it looks like okay, maybe he was an agent of some kind when we sent him over there or maybe he came back as a Russian agent. And in fact, one of the um one of the former heads of the CIA has come to this conclusion. I've been trying to interview him on my podcast, but he and an Eastern European intelligence officer wrote a book where they proposed that Oswald was commissioned by the Soviets to shoot President Kennedy, but then Khrushchev got cold feet and called off the order, and Oswald went ahead with it anyway. So that's their theory, which is supported by one of the former CIA heads, uh, James Woolsey. On the other hand, lots of people have said the CIA did it, so maybe that's a distraction. Yeah. So there's all kinds of questions about who could have done it, but a lot of people have said the what the Warren Commission was really trying to do was avoid nuclear war. Yeah. Because if it had turned out that they that they had concluded that Oswald was a Soviet agent who had killed the American president, there would have been instant demands exactly. for, for nuclear war. And, and how could you not go to war with another country once they've assassinated your president? That's I, I, there kind would of a war no crime. Avoiding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's no avoiding it at that point. Right. And in fact, there were lots of people in the Kennedy administration who wanted a nuclear war with uh with the soviet union and during the cuban missile crisis a bunch of people thought let's get it over with now while wow. we still have tactical advantage wow and and kennedy even his brother robert was was on the side of the hawks oh um, my goodness so but, so not just not just calling for a war to defeat russia but openly saying yes it's okay if it's nuclear we just have to do this now because it's going to happen eventually Correct. Wow. There, this was a common popular view among the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the, the um, emergency committee that Kennedy put together to deal with the Cuban Missile Crisis. By the way, I've got a couple of episodes of Mysterious World where I, I walk you through the Cuban Missile Crisis and talk about all this and document it. Yeah. I also have another episode 
that came out on the anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis last year talking about the secret Cuban Missile Crisis that we didn't know anything about because, because the Soviets had been putting nuclear missiles in Cuba and we didn't find out about all of them. And so, so you, you're, you're Fidel Castro, you've got these nuclear missiles that the Americans don't know anything about, you want to keep them. Mm -hmm. And some of the Soviets wanted to let him keep them. But one of the, their major ambassador, uh, who was a diplomat who came over, um, talked to uh, Castro about the situation. And he determined, uh, his name is Sergei, I'm blanking on his last name, but um, just Google Jimmy Aiken's secret Cuban missile crisis. He talked to Castro and concluded, this man is so unstable, I cannot leave these missiles in his hands. Wow. And so there were secret negotiations to get these missiles that we didn't know anything about out of Cuba. So there was a second secret Cuban missile crisis the month after the one the world knew about. Wow. I So again, secret, uh, secret enough for me to have been completely unaware of that. I'm definitely interested in checking uh, that episode out. Miko uh, Yan, that's his name, Sergei okay. Miko Yan. Sergei Miko Yan. So I have a question I want to ask you because I find this yeah. really interesting. The fact that you had political leaders who were in favor of an actual nuclear war. So this is one of the criticisms I've had of just American intervention in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Is I, you know, I'm very nervous about the possibility of nuclear war. We have to tread very lightly. That said, all of the politicians who are sending aid and weapons to Ukraine, um, and who are completely comfortable with a, a potential boots on the ground presence from the United States. Uh, None of them are saying, well, we should have a nuclear war. And so I'm curious. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. Um, back in the 1960s, were these political leaders openly saying to the public that we should be willing to have a nuclear war? Or was this a public versus private position? I, I haven't studied that question. Um, I think, though, that it's likely they did talk about this in public, like in interviews with the press and so forth. You would have because they like, for example, um, Curtis LeMay, the head of the Air Force, he was a hawk. He wanted there to be a nuclear war so that we could smash the Soviets while we still had the ability, because at the time we did have much more nuclear firepower than they did. Um, not everyone was aware of it, but we did. And they were trying to catch up. So the idea is get them before they get us. And in that situation, trap kind of situation, it's it, exactly it's a Th Thucydides trap, um, because if you wait until there is strong or stronger than we are, many, many, many more of our people are going to die. So even if a lot of our people are going to die, estimates were like about a third of Americans would die. In wow! This proposed war, you, that's better than than three thirds well, of and, Americans and how, dying. And how many? How much of Russia would die? Right? If 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 we win and a third of our people died, like how how many people living under the USSR would have died? I haven't seen casualty estimates on that. Okay, that's remarkable. So they were they were they were just openly saying, yeah, we should sacrifice one third of Americans now because you know, of course, their rationalization was it might be worse later. But they, I mean, they were willing to engage in this completely suicidal mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they 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 were, and wow. it was really President Kennedy. Now he had a lot of flaws, but one of his yeah. one of the things he did right was 
he rejected the advice they gave him and, and insisted on trying to find a diplomatic solution. And it really went down to the wire because there was one day, and it was the next to last day of the crisis, it came to be known as Black Saturday because of how bad things were in the crisis. And on Black Saturday, we almost went to nuclear war three times on that one day. What? And there's, there's, there's one gentleman who was in the Soviet Navy that like saved us by himself by disobeying orders. That's right. And, I, I've, so I've heard this story. Yeah. I didn't know that we, I, I knew that we came close once. I didn't realize it happened three times in the same day. Yeah, three times in the same day. It was an awful day, and the American public did not know how close we came. Or a great day, right? <laughs> Think about it. It just didn't happen. So well, I guess from that, that day perspective, went, is, <laughs> the day went as good as it uh, could have. Yeah, but if people, you know, people can check out my episodes on it. I walk you through the crisis bit by bit, and um, so as not to leave people in suspense, what happened was. Um, one of the Soviet submarines was down uh, under underwater within the blockade line uh, that we had put around Cuba. And they had orders that if they lost communication, um, they were to launch nuclear missiles. Um, because the idea was if you lose communication, it's because there's been a war mm -hmm. and that's why you're not in communication. Well, they lost communication and you had a split between the captain of the ship and the political officer. One of them wanted to launch, another didn't want to launch. And fortunately, the protocol at the time required agreement between like two of three officers. And the third officer insisted, let's surface and see if we can pick up radio broadcasts. So they broke, which was a violation of their orders, but they broke orders. They surfaced. They found out a nuclear war had not started and they refrained from launching. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> So I, I want to ask you about mm -hmm. the, the JFK assassination because we, we did, did kind of trail off a little oh, bit there. Was yeah. that all the information that you wanted to discuss about it or is there more the audience should know? Well, there's another piece I want to bring in, which is so after the, after the Warren Commission issued its report, mm -hmm. there was a big push to sell it to the American public. And part of that push was conducted by the CIA. The CIA had a program known as Project Mockingbird, whose purpose was to manipulate the U.S. press and get it to pump out the stories that the CIA wanted promoted. And so um, they did this with the Kennedy assassination. They, in fact, there have now been declassified documents from the CIA that it, like explain, here's how you debunk a book criticizing the Warren Report. You wow. can go after this, you can attack the author on this, you can do this. And so they were they were having briefings for people in the press for here's how you can de here's how to go about debunking these books, not on factual grounds, but like, oh, this author is trying to make money or he doesn't have enough footnotes yeah. in his book or things sophistry. like that. Yeah, sophistry. Um, but you did have authors who persevered. And by the 1970s, the majority of the American public, despite what you would hear from the media, which tried to make it sound like if you believe there was a conspiracy, you're crazy. 
Yeah. Um, most Americans concluded there was a conspiracy. And in the mid-1970s, a, a commission was set up by the U.S. House of Representatives called the House uh, Commit Select Committee on Assassinations. And it was tasked with identifying with investigating both the John F. Kennedy assassination and the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. And in investigating those, it came to the opposite conclusion. It came to the conclusion there, there almost certainly was a conspiracy. So what you have is two different government reports. The Warren, the Warren report is an official government report, but it ain't the only one. Mm. There's also the House Select Committee report, and they come to different conclusions. So sometimes critics of the conspiracy theory will say, oh, but the Warren Commission, it's the official government word, and all these competent people did it. Yeah, and so did the House Select Committee. Mm. So, so they kind of neutralize each other. And the position I have, you know, I don't rule out the possibility that Oswald did it or that he acted alone. I also think it's possible that there was a conspiracy here. It, there's certainly enough that looks like a conspiracy here. So I have a genuinely open mind about this. I don't have a firm final theory I've set on, but I continue to investigate this. And as I do that, um, I've actually investigated it for years, but as I do that, I occasionally will produce new episodes of Mysterious World dealing with aspects of it. For example, last year, um, I did an episode on what looks like it was an initial assassination that Oswald did of a um, former military man in in Dallas, um, and General Walker. And so Oswald, General Walker, sitting at home doing his taxes, a shot goes through his window. People see. Um, more than one figure leaving Oswald, leaving Walker's house, and Oswald then turns up with the same rifle that shot General Walker, shot at General Walker, and there are photographs of him holding the rifle and where he buried it temporarily. So there's, there's, and he, according to Marina Oswald, he admitted to her that he took a shot at General Walker. So why would he do that? Well, it could be he hates General Walker, who was, you know, a racist and a segregationist. Mm -hmm. um, and he hated John F. Kennedy. Maybe he hated both of them. On the other hand, and this is the theory that's advocated by James Woolsey, maybe it was a, it was a proof run that, you know, if you're going to send an assassin to do something as big as kill the president of the United States— you want to make sure he's committed to that mission first. Mm. And so maybe you have him kill someone else as proof of loyalty. And so maybe the may if if Woolsey's theory is correct, um maybe that's part of what happened that they the Soviets were testing Oswald to see if he'd go through with it. Huh. Or Maybe the CIA is behind it, or the mafia, and they were doing a test run with somebody who may or may not have been Oswald, and they later framed. Well, I, one thing I find very interesting is the fact that you have two government-produced documents, one saying there was not a conspiracy, the other saying there was. You mentioned that they sort of nullify each other, but I would take it a step further, because the government had clear interest in trying to determine 
that there wasn't a conspiracy, right? They had a motivation mm -hmm. to do that. So my perspective is always that if a person has many reasons not to admit something and they admit it, I consider them to be more trustworthy and credible mm -hmm. as a source than somebody who's you know saying it's not true but has reason to believe it's it's not true. So I, I, I would take I, I, it that one step further. I would say that that this committee saying that a conspiracy likely happened um, is is weighted differently than mm -hmm. the Warren report saying there wasn't one. Another motive of credibility that would favor the uh, 1970s committee is it wasn't done in the immediate aftermath. Mm -hmm. You know, passions are going to be high. There's going to be pressure to do all of this really fast. Well, okay, by 1979, when the committee report came out, it had been, you know, 16 years. Yeah. There had been a lot of time for evidence to emerge and passions were cooler now yeah wow. on the subject so that would also tend to favor the committee report well you know so you have this term conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist mm -hmm. and so often this is thrown out to prevent people from thinking critically about issues as soon as someone gets labeled with this term you can disregard everything they say you don't have to consider their thoughts any of the research they're that they've done their perspective. This is done so frequently and it's certainly been overplayed in recent years. There are many more people who are willing to embrace things that in the past were considered conspiracy theories just because of what happened through COVID. And, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that lab leak hypothesis was labeled a conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. even though the uh, former head of the CDC said that he believed uh, that lab leak had happened and there was an effort made to silence him, right? Now it, it comes out that everyone who was called a conspiracy theorist was right, or at the very least, it's more likely that they were right. Not every government agency is on the same page here. But I guess my point is to say, so often people are, are mocked and dismissed with this term. And yet when we look at the JFK assassination, which is considered this kind of quintessential conspiracy theory. When people think about conspiracy theories, their their mind almost always goes here. It's uh, almost archetypal. This is one that the majority of the American public actually believed or currently believes in. Uh, mm -hmm. People who don't think a conspiracy occurred are a minority. And you mentioned to me before the show that it was as, as much as 90% of the American population surveyed believed that there was a conspiracy. Yes. Uh, at many points in U.S. history, it's been 70 or 80 or more percent and since the assassination occurred. And after uh, Oliver Stone's uh, 1990s movie, JFK, came out, it topped 90 percent, mm -hmm. believed it was a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And so th this almost... This almost defeats the the purpose of referring to something as a conspiracy theory because what that suggests is you're on the fringes, you're on the outside, you don't believe what most people believe, you're just not rational. Right. The term conspiracy theory today is an insult term. Mm -hmm. It didn't used to be, but it is now. Mm -hmm. It's an insult term that is used to denigrate people who have certain kinds of views, often of which don't actually involve a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, a conspiracy has a precise definition. Now, it's going to vary a little bit from one jurisdiction to another, but in the law, a conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people to do something illegal. And conspiracies really exist. That's why we have laws against them. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. there's nothing, nothing shameful about saying two or more people got together and agreed to, to do something illegal. That well, happens all the time. What do you think the mafia is? <laughs> exactly. Well, and, it, 
so so I think I don't use the term conspiracy theory. I mean, I may very occasionally, but I don't use it. I don't consider conspiracy theories in you know taboo because conspiracies are real. The question to me is. What evidence do you have that a conspiracy occurred in this case? And we need to be open and not dismissive in considering that evidence. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been so propagandized and our language has been so tortured that over the past several years, you could be labeled a conspiracy theorist for not believing in certain conspiracy theories. For example, the belief that President Donald Trump colluded with the Russians in order to rig the 2016 election. Denying that got you labeled a conspiracy theorist, which is hilarious because in that situation, you are like definitionally, definitionally the non-conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Or similarly, you know, the idea that aliens might be visiting us, that's a conspiracy theory. Well, is it? Are the aliens planning on doing something illegal? <laughs> I, are they yeah. even subject to U.S. law? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, the, the only, I guess the, the, the context in which that could be considered a conspiracy is if you believe, well, the government is just covering this up. They're, they're oh, hiding fine. it. Yeah. What, what laws are the government's breaking oh, in, fair in that enough. case? Because, yeah. because we have national secrets. Every mm -hmm. nation does. Mm -hmm. We don't let it all hang out there. It ain't the sixties, baby. Um, <laughs> we got, we got global enemies and we don't want them to know everything we know. So yeah. what law is, is anybody violating if the government is? keeping aliens on the down low. So one thing I find interesting about you and the things you've been saying is even though you're interested in exploring these things and you're certainly not afraid to talk about them, you're not really affected by the stigma surrounding these conspiracy theories. You're not necessarily in the category of somebody who buys into them. So you've been talking quite a lot about the JFK assassination and you've done a lot of research on that, but you're not on one side or the other here. You're just saying, well, it looks like something might have happened here, but you haven't given a definitive answer. Correct. I I have certain leanings, but my leanings are not evidence. Mm -hmm. And and I want to look at evidence in the most objective way I can. And I think in the J in the case of the JFK assassination, I think the evidence is ambiguous. Um, there's also evidence that you could cite in favor of of Oswald being a lone nut. Um, mm -hmm. And we haven't explored that as much on today because you know, it's that gets brought out by everybody who touts the Warren Commission. You know, he did do some things that made him look like a nut. So maybe he was just a lone nut. Um, but I think there's also significant evidence that would support a conspiracy interpretation. Well, in what's certainly clear based on all of the evidence is that regardless of whether Oswald was a lone nut, people who believe that the JFK assassination was a conspiracy theory are not lone nuts. <laughs> you're not crazy for thinking it, and you're mm -hmm. certainly not alone. Yes. Now, some of them might be lone nuts. But Fair not enough. All, not all but, of them. But it doesn't make you a lone nut to believe it. Correct. You could have crazy, nutty reasons for believing it. Fair. Uh, but... But uh, oh, there there have, have been be like the, yeah. the reason one of the wilder ones versions of the conspiracy theory that I've heard is uh, JFK was killed to prevent him from revealing the truth about aliens. Interest. Okay, yeah, that's a little bit out there. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit out there. I don't have good evidence to support that one. Yeah, what can what evidence do they use? Please, I, I'm, well, I'm curious. Well, it's it's going to be wrapped up in what do presidents know about UFOs, like in the in like with the majestic twelve documents and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, 
But what I've found in studying the Kennedy assassination is there are certain groups of people who will say that Kennedy was killed in order to prevent some prevent him from doing something. Yeah. And whatever they they propose as what he was killed tends to be something they either really hate or really would have loved. Mm. So so some in the UFO community will say they would really love the the government to announce that aliens exist. So but but we know there are people opposed to them making that announcement. So that must have been why Kennedy was killed. Mm -hmm. Or other people will say, oh, he was doing stuff with the Federal Reserve Bank. Yeah, I and, heard that you one's know, funny. And, and so forth. But I, I, I have yet to see good evidence that would connect it to those things. Yeah, you, you'll hear people imply it pretty frequently, too. They'll bring up some, you know, controversial or usually a kind of populist position that JFK had. And they'll go like, well, that's where that gets you. You know, if you're a person who's powerful, who holds that opinion, you get assassinated. But they, they won't actually link the two or explain to you, well, you know, yeah. what evidence we have for, for how, thinking that's the reason. Yeah. How do you know that was the reason? I mean, mm -hmm. if did, does the head of the Federal Reserve Bank, do you have a check that he wrote Lee Harvey Oswald or what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, it's 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 possible, right? Again, if there's evidence yeah. for it. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you you really do need to supply evidence for these kinds of things. And this is this is one thing that um, I always try to be careful in expressing is that. And you you've touched on this, just sort of talking about the stigma around conspiracy theories and how you don't really let that affect you. We don't have time to get into all of it because we have to wrap up pretty soon mm -hmm. here. But when you look at, you know, MK Ultra or Operation Northwoods, mm -hmm. things that the government has admitted to, mm -hmm. it should disillusion you of of the the notion that they're not going to do anything behind the backs of the American people that would be damaging to us or result in the loss of innocent life. This is this is not a government that has a perfect track record of behaving well and honestly. No, uh, there have been abuses of authority all through American history, uh, not just in the 20th century, but in the 19th century as well. And there have been um, cases where you mentioned Operation Northwoods, which also occurred during the Kennedy period. Um, it was a proposal to use false flag operations to give the United States a pretext to invade Cuba. And among the things they were talking about were not only lying to the American public, but also, and this was a document designed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So this is the heads of each of the branches of the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Commandant of the Marine Corps, plus a high-ranking uh, chairman and vice chairman from the military. So this is the military top dogs. And they're proposing a plan to President Kennedy that says we should lie to the world and the American people to stage a reason for us to invade Cuba. And among the things they proposed staging were sinking a real boat of Cuban refugees on its way to Florida, which would have killed people and attacking Cuban refugees in the United States, both in Miami and elsewhere in Florida and in Washington, D.C., and detonating plastic explosives where they are, which would maim or kill them. And so this is, this is horrific. Mm -hmm. And the, the Joint Chiefs 
proposed this to Kennedy because the, Cuba was falling into the, so, the orbit of the Soviet Union. They wanted to knock over Fidel Castro before he signed an agreement with the Russians. They thought, we've only got about three months before that's likely to happen, so we need to do this now. They proposed it to President Kennedy. Fortunately, President yeah. Kennedy said no. Mm -hmm. It wasn't uh, among those, I believe there was also a plan to attack American bases, no? Yeah, oh yeah, Guantanamo Bay in particular, um, which is a U.S. Uh, military base on the island of Cuba that, it's kind of hilarious. Um, back when we helped Cuba win its independence, we needed a place in the Caribbean to winter our ships. And so we leased Guantanamo Bay from them, um, an ongoing indefinite lease. And every year we send them a check to pay the rent, but they have refused to pay to cash the check since Fidel Castro took over in 1959. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know we, we have to wrap up in a second here, but mm -hmm. I just want to ask you for any final thoughts uh, that you'd like to impart to the audience about any of these conspiracy theories we've talked about or just conspiracy theory more generally. Well, conspiracies are real. As I said, that's why we have laws against them. The question is, what evidence do you have? And so we need to we need to be diligent in looking for evidence, and we need to be critical in evaluating the evidence. We shouldn't just buy every claim we meet without evidence. We shouldn't reject a given claim just because it doesn't fit our narrative. Um, we need to be as objective and neutral as we can when, like a jury in a courtroom, when weighing the evidence. And so that's my, my general conclusion about conspiracies, but for a lot more, and if you want to see how I handle conspiracy issues and reasoning through them, check out Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. It's in your podcast app. It's also at mysterious.fm. And you can also watch the video version of it at my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy Akin. My name is spelled J-I-M-M-Y. A-K-I-N as in Nebraska. And you know what? Let me actually just write that at the bottom of the screen for oh, everyone. Awesome. It's also in the title uh, of the video, but uh, you guys will all see this really quick. All right, that's how it's spelled. And we're also going to make it – can I make it scroll? Usually I'm able to make it scroll. Well, it's not working right now. Technical difficulties. Mm -hmm. Unfortunate. However, it has been uh, very fortunate that you were able to come on the show and explain some of these things to the audience. I had a great time. I'd love to have you back at any point. And sure. I really want to encourage my audience to check your stuff out. I also uh, want to thank you all because we got up to 3,000 concurrent live viewers at once. That's pretty cool. Um, and before we wrap out, I want to thank you guys for that. Also ask the uh, 1,800 of y'all still watching to hit that like button. And I'm just going to oh hit that like button. Please hit the red join button. It's totally free. And you'll get to come to fan Q&As that I do. Uh, and, and hit follow. And I'm just going to check out the rumble rants we have here. Um, Makey sent in $2 and said, love this guest. I thought I'd read that out loud for you, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you. And, there, you know, we had a, a chat earlier. Unfortunately, um, I seem to have lost it. So I'm sorry. I'll have to find that and read that in the next episode. But once again, thank you for, for stopping by Jimmy, everyone, please go check out his work. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I will see the rest of you on Thursday.